Hello and welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew, and today I'm excited to bring you a conversation between Gray and Ryan Malone. Ryan's the CEO of Smartbug Media. They are a HubSpot Diamond partner, and in this conversation, they dig into some of the elements around their team and how they've been able to build an awesome remote team that delivers amazing results to their clients. A lot of good nuggets inside this conversation. You're going to love it. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie, and I'm very excited today to have Ryan Malone from Smartbug Media with us on the podcast. Ryan is the guy behind Smartbug Smart Bug Media, as I mentioned. Wow, try saying that three times hard. It's not even a hard name, Ryan. And uh, they recently achieved HubSpot Diamond Partner status. So excited to dig into the story of how they've done that. Ryan, welcome on, man. Hey, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to showcase the story. So, Ryan, I'm going to kick things over to you first and let people get to know you. You want to share the kind of the backstory on Smart Bug and your story and how those two come together? Um, and then from there, we'll dive more into kind of how you built the team and what uh, what the rest of the agency looks like. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, one of the the first things I always get asked is what what Smartbug means. So Smartbug was actually named after our dog. And there's when you go to register a domain name, there's there's basically nothing left. And our dog Lola was sitting there, and we call her the bug. And she did something one day, and my wife said, "What a smart little bug." And that happened to be available. So um, so that was kind of the impetus for the name. But the, the way that we got started is before um, I founded the company in 2007, I was a, a consultant at Deloitte & Touche. I ran product management for a division of Seagate. I um, was a VP of marketing at a couple of venture-backed companies and raised some money and stuff like that. And what we found was that when we hired an agency, if the agency did well, they had some whiz-bang process. Um, but what the problem was, if the, if the campaign didn't do well, somehow it was always the client's fault that we didn't give them some data point or there was something missing. And when you really peeled the onion, what you found was that the majority of people doing the work were interns and graphic designers and direct mail people who um, didn't happen to be working at the time. And so it, it just kind of didn't smell right to us. And I went and I spoke to a couple friends in the tech industry and, and they had the same issue. And so uh, I decided to quit my job, which at the time was uh, VP of marketing for a network security software company and started Smartbug. And the week that I was leaving, the, um, a really dear friend of mine who hired me at Seagate and um, was kind of at the tail end of his career, our CEO sent him on a trip uh, up to San Jose. And it could have been a phone call, but it wasn't. And, um, and uh, so he ended up missing a nephew's birthday. And it just reminded me that there were so many things in life that were more important than work. And so we decided from the get-go, and this was kind of before it was hip, was to create a virtual company. And the idea was basically that, you know, we just we just believe that you can have a really great career and you can do great work and, and work with people that, that you have a lot of respect for and that are smart with, but uh, smart, but at the same time, you shouldn't have to give up the things that matter. You should be able to volunteer in your kid's school or visit a, an aging grandparent or train for a triathlon. And so 
we tried to build um, a company that allowed people to really develop in their career, be able to shut down their computer after a fair day's work without being a sweatshop um, and, and feel like they were really kind of doing something with their, uh, with their life. And so that was what, seven, eight years ago. And now we've got 25 people and just kind of chugging along. Wow. So Ryan, are you guys completely remote then, or is there anybody, uh, in an office together? Um, we are completely remote and that will not change. I always, <laughs> I always joke with people that, uh, if they ever want to come, you know, to the headquarters that really the only benefit they get of working at headquarters here is to have a beer in the backyard. But, um, yeah, we're completely, um, completely virtual and, and, you know, maybe we can get into it in a bit, but we spent a ton of, a ton of time and money and, and thinking about how to make a virtual company about as close to a non-virtual company as possible, but it's worked out really well for us. Wow, that's awesome. So I did not realize that you guys were a distributed team um, with 25 people. So, I mean, a lot of the virtual teams, a lot of the agencies who have virtual teams, especially um, that we've had on the podcast, are working with a much smaller team. I don't think there's anybody who we've talked to to this point who has a virtual team of the size that you guys are talking about with 25 people. So let's go there right now and just how do you make it work um, what are the things that you have in place to make a virtual team work with 25 people? Sure. So there are, well, first of all, everybody here is an employee. So I think one of the challenges with virtual companies is there's this, this sense of temporariness that um, because a lot of virtual companies hire people as contractors and, and all that stuff. So we're, we're different than a lot of companies. We'll probably figure that out a little bit as we talk today. But um, everybody that's here is an employee, which means that, you know, we've got, you know, benefits and employee status set up in what, 16 states or something now, which is really complicated to manage. But at the same time, if if you want to treat the people that you work with like they're part of your family, you have to treat them like they're part of your family. And you have to, you know, do the same things for them that you would do if you were a normal company. We... um. We work really hard uh, during the week to carve out time for people just to enjoy talking to each other. So our staff meetings always have some type of a fun exercise. It could be a could be a contest, could be something else. Um, you know, we've had everything from you know funny kids picture to um, you know what's your rap name to all kinds of stuff like that. And sometimes our staff meetings have nothing to do with work. They're just an hour of everybody kind of talking. We use a lot of video, so. You know, you've got staff meetings with 25 people on a video conference that you start to learn um, a lot about people during that stuff. And we have, um, you know, we do a couple other different types of meetings that are like uh, kind of brainstorming sessions for clients that are video that all of them have this fun component. And our, our big kind of kumbaya every year is we have an event called the Smart Bugapalooza which is um, we bring everybody on the team out to the West Coast. Um, we've done Newport Beach. We've done uh, Vegas. This year we're going to Napa Valley. And so we bring everybody out here. Um, we have them bring their significant others um, if they'd like to because we feel like that, um, you know, they're as much part of our team as the people that work here. And, and so we've managed to, to do these things because we really care about the people that are here. And we feel that if we can um, see them as much as possible and meet their families and provide them, you know, some really good training opportunities and growth opportunities that um, that they'll do great work. And if you hire really smart people and that are kind of motivated and driven, that it, it tends to fall in place. So we've um, 
because we're virtual, we're able to offer some really unique things to people. We have a girl who's one of our rock star consultants who is in RV living and she literally will drive her RV and she'll park it at Yosemite for a month with her husband. who's a, he's a coder. He works remote too. And they'll just live in Yosemite for a month and then they'll drive down to like San Diego and hang out there. And this year they're going to the East coast. Um, and she does amazing work. Her clients love her. They're always trying to find out where she's at. Um, we've got another consultant right now who's on the road with his buddy who's in a band. So he's kind of working remotely and, in fact, today he just put up a note on Twitter of him doing a monthly review for a client while he was driving down the road between Portland and Seattle, getting ready to go to the next city with his friend. And then he just kind of visits our team members as he drives around the country. And again, he's a he's a great consultant, too, and does great work. So I think giving people the flexibility and also the support and also really investing the time and money to get to know people is really how you make it work. And you can never go back. So as soon as you go back, you've ruined it. So companies, I think, that have a, a home base and they add a virtual component, the people at the home base are always never quite in the know. So you either got to do it or not do it. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. So, and you guys have been remote the whole time. What is the team? You're at 25 now, but eight years ago, what's been the kind of the growth trajectory of folks coming out of the team? You know, we've probably, um, if you look at our our three-year growth rate, if we were to have submitted um, to the Inc. 5000 we, last year, we would have been number 276. We don't typically um, do those because we always felt like those awards aren't representative of the team's work. They're more like ego strokes for the, for the owner or the CEO of the company. But, um, you know, we were, we were actually relatively small until about three, four years ago where we had, you know, five, six people. And then we uh, we figured out some hiring issues and we figured out um, some process issues and um, really decided to kind of put the pedal down a little bit more. And um, now we're, we're actually growing pretty quickly. So, um, you know, do I know if the virtual model is going to work with 50 people? You know, I won't I won't know that probably until, you know, sometime, you know, mid to late 2016. But I'm pretty sure that it'll work based on the way that we've kind of structured teams and, and, and stuff like that. So we're pretty excited about it. Wow. That's um, that's pretty amazing growth. So when, at what point in the journey, Ryan, did you guys partner up with HubSpot and start, uh, has it, has the focus is inbound marketing. I guess what I'm trying to ask is, is inbound a shift from the way that you were doing business before, or is it kind of a continuation and evolution of the natural process and where does HubSpot fit in? Yeah. So, um, between 2007 and 2009, um, we were doing some general marketing consulting stuff. And, uh, actually our first two customers were because in 2005, my mom had a stroke and I wrote a couple books about how to, um, how to kind of get what you need out of the senior housing space. And it ended up getting picked up by a couple of the big providers of the two biggest ones actually. And they flew me around the western half of the U.S. to speak a little bit. And um, so they ended up being kind of our first two clients. And when we started doing more, um, I guess, traditional uh, demand gen consulting, we found a problem is all the agencies that we were competing against and the ones that we hired uh, were trying to jimmy rig all of these different tools together. And you've heard this story from HubSpot probably, but this is a little bit different vibe. Um, and so they would try to take five or six tools and stitch them together with Excel. But the challenge was, is that if you look at the consistency of the data from month to month, the insights were different. So one month, you know, you might have an insight that 
um, showed how good you were doing in one particular dimension. And the next month, shockingly, that was gone. And it was because, um, you know, agencies were notorious for kind of massaging the data to, to kind of portray themselves in a good way. So the way that we stumbled on HubSpot was we felt because, you know, we didn't hire graphic designers and interns and stuff like that. We hired people who'd managed P&Ls and launched products and understood the implications of being wrong and, you know, potentially raised some money and people that, you know, our customers would typically hire as a director of marketing. So we felt like we had a people advantage and what we needed then was a data advantage and we needed something that would take, uh, that would force the agency to collaborate with the client and would eliminate all of the places to hide in the data. So we looked at HubSpot and we looked at um, Marketo and we looked at, at the time, Pardot and um, having a relatively decent technical background. HubSpot had by far the best roadmap. Um, they had by far the best investor base. And, and we felt like it was a lot easier for them to build up than other companies to try to simplify their their platform. And, but most importantly, we knew that if everybody's looking at the same data, then you can really be an extension of your team. And if there's nowhere for um, the data to hide, then you, you, know, you as an agency move away from trying to not get in trouble, so to speak, like the agencies we used to hire to a point of saying, okay, well, this is a data point and how do we fix it? And, and that was the reason that we chose HubSpot. And that was 2009, 2010. Okay. Awesome. So did you guys, um, when you sign up with HubSpot at that point, Ryan, do you start using HubSpot internally first or are you rolling it out to clients at the same time? We use it internally. Um, so we use, um, the highest level of all the HubSpot tools. Uh, we feel like that if we can't eat our own dog food and use all the tools internally and use our own system, our own kind of marketing as a, a Petri dish for stuff that we're not really going to be able to do good work for clients. So when we, uh, when we did that at the time, although painfully we had to, uh, we had to swallow HubSpot's old CMS, but um, we put everything on HubSpot and, and hitched our train to that. And, and so far it's been great. They've been great. That's awesome. Wow. So you have uh, coming out in 2009, that first, that was very bold to go with the CMS. Um, but also you've seen just an incredible evolution then uh, in the HubSpot world. I mean, they're, Obviously, they uh, you've seen the better part of their journey since inception, um, but the tool is just obviously it's light years to it's not even yeah it's hardly even the same product but yeah that's awesome um, cool so I have one question Ryan for you about kind of the very beginning and sure. early years of Smartbug and feel free to not answer this or just say this is none of your business but <laughs> you, you mentioned that uh, you're treating your uh, hiring people as employees, not classifying them as contractors. Huh? So you're obviously picking up some overhead there. You're spending money on the highest levels of HubSpot. W was SmartBug bootstrapped? Was it all personal investment from you, or did you raise outside money to get the agency going? No, we just uh, we've been profitable from day one, so we've never really had to raise anything. Um, you know, we um, you, you know. It's funny, the virtual thing a lot, I, I've talked to a lot of business owners that do virtual stuff and, and most of them, um, it's because they're like, well, hey, I don't have to spend money on office space. But that's not really why. The reason why you go virtual is because you can hire better people. Um, and so um, we did. We just felt like, you know, we'd, we'd add accounts, we'd figure out a system, we'd document the system, we'd hire the best person in the U.S. that we could find to do it. 
um, you know, gave them, you know, market, you know, market competitive stuff with some, you know, some upside in their, in their pay package and then, um, and let them do what they know how to do and what they're capable of, of learning to do it better. And so we never really had to go get money. We, we've never taken a loan. Um, we've actually never even made like a sales call in like five and a half years. We, we literally kind of just do our own marketing and, and, um, you know, follow our process to present people that are ready to work with us. And then we contact them and, and go through our sales process. So I think we're probably pretty lucky in that space. We, we, um, we focus a lot on process. So, you know, we think of our agency as a system, not, we don't think of our agency as a bunch of creative people kind of sitting around on whiteboards, but, you know, we think of our, 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 our agency as a system where creativity is, you know, one of the steps of the, the process. And I think because of that, we're able to execute um, a bit more profitably than a lot of agencies might. Wow. That's awesome. So for everyone who's listening, who thinks that it's not possible, uh, obviously it is possible to invest in people and invest in systems and processes and, uh, and still be profitable. Um, Ryan, when you say that that systems and processes are a big deal to you guys. What are some of the major areas or how does that play out um, kind of more tangibly if you can break it down for us? Um, not sure I understand. Could you? Yeah. So are there areas when you say uh, like we focus heavily on systems and on processes, what are some of the big areas where you have systems built that maybe you think other agencies, uh, I guess, why has that been a competitive edge for you? In what ways do you think that's a, that's a big advantage and has helped you to be profitable? Is it, and I guess to give you some examples, is it on the client delivery side, we've got a strong process for how we execute? Sure. Uh, okay. I understand now. Sorry. Yep. Too much caffeine makes the brain go foggy, right? No, no problem. I'm uh, it's, so we're in different time zones around here on the West coast. I'm on the East coast. So we're late in the day. So if I go a little, uh, a little out of control here, I also have a, a five-month-old daughter right now. So sleep is low, late in the day, tend to fade. So we'll, we'll get there, though. Congratulations. What's her name? Uh, her name's Laurel. Yep. That's she's, cool. She's awesome. But, I got an 18-month-old and uh, a seven-year-old. Both, oh, you've been both there. Girls, so. Yep. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So uh, here's a, here's a kind of example. So a lot of times, um, at least from what – and we don't we don't really spend a ton of time kind of learning how other people do stuff because we we don't know that it's necessarily relevant to how we want to do stuff. But what we found is that the learning curve to uh, be effective at inbound was always really really long. And the typical model that people would find is um, they would hire somebody who was a pretty junior level person. They would um, basically say, "Hey, go watch all the HubSpot Academy stuff." which is great um, if you want to know where all the buttons are, but they don't really teach you how to be effective at a particular task. So we actually, like our training process, for example, um, is actually based on the apprentice model of the old industrial age stuff. So, you know, if you're a bricklayer, the first thing that um, you do when you're an apprentice is you learn how to make cement and then you do it over and over and over until you're good at it. And then the, you know, the person who's, apprenticing you says, okay, this person's qualified to make cement. So now let's, you know, send them out with the team and lay the cement with the walls. So we do kind of the same thing, you know, you know, blogging and blog management and stuff like that is really important. So, you know, we focus our initial training on how to use HubSpot to do that process, let them practice it the way that we do it, um, and then let them work on accounts. So it's for us, you know, we have a, 
a training process that's um, that's you know pretty pretty well guided that allows us to get you know people up to speed much more quickly, um, and so it, it ends up being better for us, and we end up not having to basically train and retrain and retrain and retrain like a lot of folks do. Um, you know, every deliverable that we build has a process behind it. Um, it's not designed to strip out creativity. It's designed to make sure that all the little details that are the difference between a, a meh, okay campaign and a really good campaign get done every time. Um, and that's why I think it's kind of translated it into a really low um, churn rate. Um, and so those are the kinds of processes that we spend um, a lot of time on. It's just to make sure that, you know, somebody can get brought up to speed on something and trained with, by a real human. And then they have this fallback process that's very well documented um, that makes sure that is reinforcing what it is that they learn so that they can be effective pretty quickly and, um, and, and grow quickly. Beautiful. That makes sense. That, that kind of helps me wrap my mind around, Ryan, what, what you meant and I think of that kind of process so I guess what this leads me to think too is as you guys have scaled from a small team especially over the last three years uh, scaled to 25 where you're at now that that is the kind of systems and processes that have allowed you to keep the quality of the work um, you know at a point where you're not constantly seeing client turnover and continuing to grow on the client side of things in addition to the processes Ryan um, when you think about the internal culture at SmartBug, and you've hit on a couple of the characteristics of the way that the team behaves, the fact that you're distributed, that people have the freedom, um, you mentioned what happens during uh, staff meetings with contests mm -hmm. or some, some funny part. When you think about the internal culture, how do you describe the culture of SmartBug? Um, so... This is going to sound super cliche and it's not meant to be that, but, you know, I tell everybody that when we're interviewing them, um, you know, we're trying to build something that people will stay here forever. Now you and I both are smart enough to know that that's probably highly unlikely, right? Yep. Maybe a couple people, but, but by doing that, you know, we feel that, you know, one day when I'm 65 and I'm kind of limping around or in a walker or whatever, hopefully later than 65, <laughs> um, you know, if one of those people walks up and says, Hey, you know what? My time at SmartBug was the best time that I had in my career. Then I won as a business owner. So we've tried to say like, how can we, um, going back to what I said before, we, the, the way that we describe our culture is a place where you can, um, work with great people, do really high quality work. Um, you know, uh, enjoy growth because the company provides training and also challenging assignments, not miss out on the things that matter in your life uh, and shut down your computer at a reasonable time and be done for the day. And um, that, that kind of value system um, is really important because it allows us to attract really sharp people um, that don't want um, to work in a sweatshop that, don't want to work on weekends that don't want to be measured by how long they're sitting in a chair while some guy looks out his window to see if they're the last person in the office um, and things like that. So that's, that's kind of the deal that we've made. And we look at it as an, an agreement, right? Our, our side of the agreement is that we're going to provide you this opportunity that I just described. Um, your side of the agreement is that, um, 
you know, you're going to be completely transparent about what it is that you need to be successful, how, what skills that you want us to help you develop, that you're going to hit dates and that you're going to do what's right for the client. Even if that means that we um, have to spend more money on the client that month, even if it means that there's something a little bit out of scope that is the right thing to do. So that's the agreement that we, that we have with everybody. And, um, you know, so far in the history of the company, we've only had two people that have left uh, by their own choice. Um, Everybody else has stayed. So our, our retention is, um, is really high. And, and every time we hire somebody, we go around the room and we introduce people. And now that part of the thing is starting to get really long. And it's really cool because, you know, you'll have people that are, are just so excited to work here. When we had our, our smart bug Palooza in Vegas, uh, one of the girls that works for us um, literally was kind of teared up crying about how she felt that this was an opportunity that she just would never be able to find anywhere else. And when you see that, you realize that you've um, kind of found something that um, that's really cool. So that, that's kind of how we describe our culture. Wow. Good for you, Ryan. That's awesome. And it's, it's cool to see that kind of culture in agencies that are out there. Um, so if you've only lost two folks and you kind of, that was one of the questions I was going to ask is what have you seen with the goal of this being the company that people want to stay at? What have you seen? But that's, Amazing, obviously much lower turnover um, than the average in the agency space is. But um, where are you finding people? And it could also be, or how are people finding you to get these jobs? How are you connecting with uh, with the team members during, um, during the hiring process specifically? Sure. So um, some have been referrals from team members. I think every company finds that. Um, you know, we, we post some stuff on inbound.org. Um, we post some stuff on some other job boards. Um, we definitely don't do anything on Craigslist, Craigslist, because it's a lot. There's a lot of riffraff. Um, although occasionally you'll get a diamond in the rough. But um, the way that I think the way that you solve that problem, and we did a, a podcast or a um, a webinar with HubSpot a while ago about this. But um, we're always interviewing. So because we're growing at a decent clip we don't really wait until a job opening happens. Um, we're always interviewing, we're vetting people, we're putting them through the process. And, and most of the time when it comes time to hire somebody, we've already got a person or two that's been through the interview process that we know that they're ranked number one or two in terms of who's on deck. And we call them and we literally just say, okay, the job's open. Do you want to come? And you know, three or four times they've said, absolutely. So they may have had, they may have had to wait six weeks or so, but, um, you know, they, they felt like what they learned here and what they wanted to do here was worth it. And I think that, um, you know, your ability to hire successful people as an agency is all about the size of the network and the, abil- and the, and the ability that you have to share your vision with people. And, um, you know, simply by saying, oh, we have a new client, we got to hire somebody quick, you know, let's put up a job ad that doesn't allow you time to really, um, learn what you need to learn out of people and, and, learn whether they're good for you, but also give them, you know, what's good for them. Like, um, like I always screen the first people after we've done like a resume screen. Um, because I always felt like in previous life you'd interview with five people and then you'd go meet the CEO of the company and you're like, I don't even like this guy. So we always felt like, you know what, if, if I can spend a half an hour with somebody and it's probably not the best use of my time, but, but it really is because, we know immediately whether there's a connection with them, whether there's a cultural fit, 
whether they can, you know, there's somebody you want to grab a beer with because they're, um, you know, they're just general cool people before they go into the interview process. So it ends up being better time spent for the people that are in our interview process and, and better time spent for them. Um, and most of them find it kind of refreshing. So we haven't had a situation where we are like, oh my God, we've got to hire somebody immediately. We usually are, have a little bit of a buffer there in terms of people that are ready to come work here. Wow. That's great. Uh, that's advice that we have heard from a couple of their agency owners too, is just don't stop interviewing just because you don't have something uh, ready today. That position will open yep. up at some point. So definitely. What does Ryan, you mentioned the hiring process. What does that process look like? Sure. So, um, you know, they have, they'll have an, we'll, uh, let me start over here. All of the applications come in and, um, we don't, we don't take resumes. So we have a, a form that comes in and the form actually comes into our project management system. We use teamwork. I mean, you can use anyone you want, but, um, we ask a few questions on it and one of them is their LinkedIn profile. So, you know, from our perspective, if you haven't, if you don't have a pretty good LinkedIn profile, there's really no point in having a conversation because you really have no business applying for an inbound marketing job if you haven't set up your inbound or your LinkedIn profile. So, so we'll, we'll look, we have some answers and, you know, we're looking for some, some things there around the level of detail and, and things like that around the answers that we use as some screening things. But once they come in, um, and we feel like there's someone that we're interested in talk to, I'll set up like a half hour call with them because I want to learn about um, a little bit about their background. Um, I'm not so concerned about their understanding of inbound and, and those types of things and their marketing skills yet because we have that in different interviews. Um, but I'm trying to figure out, are they fit? Will they fit? Um, and But most importantly, like why do they want to be here? Because... Um, there's people that want to be here because they like what we do. There's people that want to be here because they see, ooh, virtual company, I get to work at home. You know, there's um, there's people that want to be here because they don't want to be somewhere else. And so I think it's really important to figure that out first. So assuming they make it through that, and, you know, by the way, we don't really want people that want to be here because they don't want to be somewhere else or want to be here just because it's virtual. There's, there's usually, there's got to be something more. Um, that drives them or else they don't really have a purpose and we're looking for people with a purpose. So um, then they'll go and they'll interview with typically four people and um, those four people are all looking for the same thing. So one person has a, a theme that they're looking for and they'll, and they'll kind of interview each of the candidates along that same theme so that we can compare across one dimension, how they do. And we score them one to 10. And since there's four people, they're looking at kind of four different areas and making a recommendation. And then we take the people with the highest scores and usually we'll have, um, I'll have one final interview with them. And, um, if, if the team recommends them and, um, and then we'll make them an offer if, uh, if we go from there, but we've also, we found that that does a couple things. We make sure that there's a good cultural fit and it's a good use of everyone's time. Um, they get a chance to meet several people in different roles at the company uh, we encourage them to ask whatever questions that they want. We're a really transparent group of folks. Um, and we don't run into that situation where everybody asks the same interview questions about walk me through your background because, um, you know, that you can kind of gather that from a LinkedIn profile, really. It's really kind of, you know, what do you do? How good are you? How good are you at it? And, and kind of how will you fit here? Um, but we've got a really good view of that person at that point. And so it makes our hiring far less risky and they've got a really good view of the personality of the people that they'll be working with. So it's turned out, um, 
it's turned out pretty well. That's great, Ryan. I appreciate you sharing that. And I have two quick follow-up questions. One is, you said, so four people are going to be interviewing. Are those all one-on-one interviews or is there a group component in there? No, they're all one-on-one. Um, they're usually video. Okay. Um, we don't think group interview questions work super well yeah. um, because we want people to have a connection with the other people. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes people who are otherwise outgoing and are really friendly can get intimidated by four faces looking at them. And right. we don't, we don't want to kind of jade the interview. We want them to feel like that they can have a connection with somebody because um, that's kind of what it's going to be like day to day is they're going to have a connection with the people that they work with. So Right. And then the second question is, are those four people, is that going to be the same four people for every applicant or does that kind of rotate throughout the company? Um, it's by function. So if it's a consulting role, it's going to be um, typically the same four people, at least the same three people, depending on availability. Um, if it's like a development or a creative role, then it's a slightly different group, but, um, it's the same concept. And okay. after a while, you know, after you've interviewed 20, 30 people, like people are really good about saying they're going to work or they're not at that point. You've seen enough of it. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Awesome. Well, I think that just hearing that process is helpful to, um, hopefully help other agencies either use that process or some variation or figure out for themselves kind of what works, but be thinking about how to pill, how to put a repeatable process in place for the hiring side, just like you would for uh, client work and, and the rest of your business. All right, Ryan. So this is, this is my last big question for you and I'm excited to ask it and see what you would say. Um, but for an agency owner who's been with HubSpot for a year or two, so they've gotten past the initial hump of learning HubSpot um, but they're just struggling to figure out what the secret is to unlock quick growth or uh, or just general growth. What advice do you have for that owner? That's a really good question. Um, I think I think one of the mistakes that um, people make is the training that they that they get when they become part of HubSpot. Um, it, and HubSpot does a great job training people, and this is nothing against HubSpot at all. But you have to differentiate yourself. Like you guys have found your space in the market, and your you know your value proposition and your USP is different than ours. And the more that people um, differentiate themselves based on where they want to take their company, not where um, you know not what the training said that they should do. Um, is better. Take take the stuff from the training that is good for you and use it. Take the stuff from the training that you don't believe in and, and just ignore it. But differentiate yourself. Otherwise, you're going to be one of 500 people who have the same language, the same stuff, and you're not. It's going to be much harder for you in the sales process. The um, the second thing I think is, um, you know, at the end of the day, you work for your customers. So if you make them win. Um, everything else will fall into place. So don't get hung up on, oh, well, we're an hour over this month, or they've asked us to create one more call to action button for them this month. Like focus on the results that they have. And at the end of the day, you'll have bigger retainers with more people and much more trust from the customers they have. And they'll let you work on more complicated problems. Like don't, don't worry about a dollar here, a dollar there. Um, just worry about them being successful. And then I think the last thing is don't be cheap, like invest in your team, invest in infrastructure. Um, you know, don't do things that 
erode the trust of your company. I've talked to a couple people who are contemplating installing like monitoring software on their team's computers to make sure they were like at their desk and like all that stuff means that you're going to hire people that ultimately you don't trust. Like find good people, invest in them, help them grow their career and, um, and spend a little bit of money and you'll find that they're really loyal and they become really talented people and you'll get far more return than if you try to save a dollar here and there. Those three things, I think if you do that, differentiate yourself, you know, um, you know, build your company based on successful customers and, and, you know, investing in your team, I think will give you a heads up advantage over half the people that are out there. Ryan, those are great tips. Those are all mistakes that I feel like we made when we were starting Guava Box. And it wasn't until starting to overcome those um, that that growth really started to happen. So I think that's, that's powerful. Well, Ryan, really appreciate your time. If folks want to learn more from you or follow you online, what's the, what's the best place to find you? Um, just go to smartbugmedia.com and, um, we'd love to follow you. If anybody has any questions, they're welcome to email me at, uh, Ryan at smartbugmedia.com as well. And if you're any, anybody who's listening is interested in being part of our team, um, either send me an email or, or go check out some of the listings that we have. And we'd love to, to learn more about you. And thanks a lot for having us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And it was great learning a little bit about you guys and thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.